Hey guys, this is Sean McGowan from QRI, and today I'm going to talk about some work that a volunteer named Ryan Ferris and I did between February and May of this past year in exploring the phenomenology of haptic vibration. So much of QRI's work involves exploring the state space of consciousness. Uh, so for example, we've built the tracer tool, which aims to quantify the visual effect of psychedelics. Andres has done a lot of work in mapping the space of smell. And we host a phenomenology club every few weeks in which we invite advanced meditation practitioners, psychonauts, and other interesting examples of phenomenology and phenomenological experts to speak about their experiences. And we aim to apply any insights from this work towards making psychedelic therapy as pleasing, safe, and healing as possible. So it's really under the umbrella of this phenomenal exploration that this presentation really falls under. Just a brief note for those who are not familiar with haptics, these are essentially low frequency vibrations that can be physically felt on the skin. Uh, so typically these are between zero and 120 hertz. So basically like wearing a subwoofer. A specific device we used was a brand called Subpack, which has a few different products, but which are all essentially the same. The motivation for this research came from the fact that a lot of the work that we see going into the set and setting for safe and effective psychedelic therapy focuses primarily on the semantic content of the participant's experience. And of course, the semantic contents of one's thoughts, feelings, emotions is highly impactful for the profundity and the efficacy of a session. But we also believe that the general texture of a person's experience is highly indicative of how healing a session is and can profoundly impact the likelihood of a positive session by influencing this texture in some way. But aside from some work being done in curating the music for these sessions, we think that there's also a huge opportunity in influencing the texture of a person's experience by way of multimodal sensory stimulation. So more surface area contact with the, the participant. We envision a more mature technology that combines light, sound, and vibration to help guide a participant through pleasing and healing trajectories in the consciousness state space. And we have a working prototype of this device, but for this work, we mostly focused on specifically haptic stimulation. So my aims from this presentation are fourfold. First, to provide general comments on haptic stimulation. Second, as well, as some notes on specific stimulation patterns that we explored. Third, to motivate further research into haptic vibration for use in psychedelic therapy, and to provide a jumping off point for those interested in doing so. Lastly, just provide a tour example of what qualia exploration and qualia mapping might look like generally. The specific goal of our project was to explore and then eventually create the foundational patterns of haptic stimulation that could be used with a more mature multi-sensory device to generate pleasing uh, healing states. We were focused on kind of the fundamental building blocks or the backbone that more complex content could be built on top of in the future. The metaphor used was, if we're trying to make a tomato soup, our task is to find the cream necessary for the tomato soup, not the tomatoes. And this exploration had two general phases. First, was to map the boundaries of the phenomenal space, kind of like mapping the border of a continent. And second, to detail the fine differences that might live within specific locations of this space. So this is the block by block cartography within a neighborhood in a state space. 
through the exploration, we asked ourselves questions like, how do pleasant and unpleasant sensations manifest? How long do they take to set in? And does it, and does it depend on your pre-existing state of consciousness? Um, what is the complexity of the stimuli? Are there body region specific effects? And then most importantly, more subconsciously even, does your body look forward to the stimulation? Here's a long list of all the exploration categories that we went through when it was all said and done. Uh, we explored simple 40 hertz stimulation, whether or not certain patterns resonate with individual nerve clusters in the heart and solar plexus, fractal audio of a variety of types, uh, na nature sounds, constant frequency varying amplitude tones, which we're calling VibLab for re reasons while why I'll describe later. Solfeggio frequencies, which dominate YouTube meditation videos. A few audio effects and illusions like shepherd tones and rizit tones. Simple heartbeat-like beats, like gongs, for example. Microtonal music, isochronic beats, speaking voices like ASMR and Tibetan throat singing, and then to a small extent, what we're calling meat sounds, which I'll explain later. Overall, what was a little disappointing, especially at first, was that it became clear that the vast majority of patterns did not feel good at all, really. Um, and so looking back, we spent a ton of time searching and searching the borders of the space to try and find diamonds in the rough, but mostly to no avail, because the further and further we deviated from the hyper simple patterns, which I'll talk about later, usually the further from this tomato soup cream that we got. However, as the, the optimists say, a no result is still information. So I like to contextualize the work as doing the needed exploration so that a subsequent engineer or content creator has some do not enter signs in the jungle um, and doesn't need to turn over all of these rocks themselves. Oh, I will go only go over a few of these in detail um, in this presentation. First, I'll lay out the patterns we explored and some super simple categorization for these patterns. Then I'll go over a few high-level comments on haptic exploration more generally. Then I'll go through each of the categories we exp explored in our, in our aim to, to map the boundaries in a little bit of depth. Uh, and then I'll walk through some of the finer-grained exploration that we did for Fractal Audio and VibLab. And then a few notes on what I think would be interesting to explore next. Over time, it became clear that the four phenomenal dimensions of valence, complexity, arousal, and loving-kindness spanned the space pretty well. And it's important to note that these are phenomenal dimensions, so complexity is not formally defined here. Uh, on the right is my poor attempt to render a 4D space on two dimensions. Yeah, so for each of these four dimensions, we found that constant frequency varying amplitude tones, which I'll call VibLab for now, exactly self-similar fractal audio, statistical fractals, and Tibetan gongs were the essence of valence, complexity, arousal, and loving-kindness, respectively. So we can view each of these patterns as representing something like the boundary of a portion of the state space. And as, as you imagine, loving-kindness and valence and complexity and arousal are certainly not orthogonal dimensions, but they're more distinct than you might think, given that, for example, very low tempo, low volume, complex patterns could be not arousing at all. Uh, and then loving kindness and valence, also certainly related, but we figured it was still worth teasing apart these two as their own categories, given that loving kindness is 
very much a goal state that we're after in a, in a, more, ver- a more, more mature version of this technology. Each of the categories we explore should lie somewhere in this four-dimensional space. So here's a reference table for each of the general categories we explored. For example, 40 hertz, isochronic beats, constant frequency, varying amplitude, fractals and fractal sounds, and then a rough estimate of uh, categories corresponding to valence, arousal, complexity, and loving kindness, including uh, labeled simply low, low plus, medium, medium plus, high, and high plus. Uh, in, in bold are the essences of each of these dimensions that I just noted. So for example, FibLab induced a high valence effect in bold here, exactly self-similar uh, fractal audio induced a strong arousal effect. Statistical fractals were the most phenomenally complex, and Tibetan gongs had the largest impact on feelings of love and kindness. And then lastly, in green are the impacts of audio on certain dimensions that are difficult to categorize because they are highly dependent on the participant's incoming emotional state. So now I'm going to mention some notes about haptic stimulation generally. So the first, the first general comment is what I mentioned before. There seem to be a very small cluster of patterns that feel pleasing and healing and that we see as having the potential to be the backbone of more complex content. However, there are a few patterns such as fractal audio, which I'll get into later, um, which may not be pleasing standalone, but like music could be used intelligently in the set as a whole to frame the more pleasing patterns that we did find. Further, in a, in a more mature technology that has several independent haptic devices, each can be playing their own different simple and constant stimulation on a different body part. Yet the experience as a whole can be complex and interesting if done carefully. For some more general comments, first, the what I would call the openness of one's nervous system to receiving information prior, prior to stimulation is crucial. For example, the more closed, knotted, or in pain a bodily area is, the less impact uh, stimulation will have on the texture of a person's experience. Conversely, after meditation, or in the context of this talk, psychedelic therapy, a nervous system which I didn't informally call open to receiving information will likely get heavily impacted. Uh, I think this makes sense intuitively and checks out with some of our other work, which explains some of the dynamics of meditation and psychedelics, as a kind of neural annealing. Sessions should really start with what I'll call a spot treatment, essentially destructively interfering with dissonant bodily patterns and making the participant's body more open to receiving information. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but this could look like, for example, starting the session with super complex fractal audio in certain locations and then slowly transitioning toward less complex fractal audio and then eventually towards simple, constant frequency, varying amplitude sounds. Thirdly, essentially all forms of haptic stimulation raise energy levels compared to the baseline of lying down with no stimulation. Uh, For most of us, just spending 20 minutes lying down will be relaxing no matter what, but it was extremely difficult to find any pattern of haptic stimulation that effectively lowered one's energy levels more so than simply lying down for a period of time. Uh, And lastly, the max stimulation time uh, was roughly 50 to 60 minutes within a four to, four to five hour period. Anything beyond this gets agitating and overwhelming. 
So some more general comments. We found that what a person is attending to during a session, food, and posture are the three most important input variables for the impactfulness of a session in that order. So if you're not attending to the stimulation or the experience, the stimulation would likely be either annoying or unimpactful. Second, it's best with an empty stomach, and third, best when you're lying down. Uh, second, the effects of multisensory systems are highly nonlinear. So when we moved on from just the subpack and we played the haptic stimulations that we explored in tandem with light and sound, the effects were, were a lot, a lot stronger. Of course, these are phenomenal estimates, but haptic and music had about three to four times the effect size of haptics alone. And haptic and music and lights had roughly what I would call two to three times the effect size of haptic and music. Uh, so this helps motivate why we think such exploration and multisensory stimulation could be so helpful for psychedelic treatment. And I expect these non-linearities non to hold and actually increase when, when used in conjunction with psychedelics. And this is not confirmed, but we can imagine such a device potentially lowering the dosage required for certain treatments. And just anecdotally from reports, this seems to be the case. Uh, this could be particularly impactful for ketamine or MDMA therapy in which the physiological effects are non-trivial. And just a, a last note here, much of the work is uh, done in the periods of non-stimulation. So in other words, uh, you build up energy with the haptics and then you drop into haptic silence. So for some last general comments, one, the body interprets haptic consonance and dissonance in terms of the consonance or dissonance of other sensory modalities that are occurring. So for example, if the audio being played is consonant or dissonance, dissonant, the haptic will feel more consonant or dissonance. Uh, second, physical engagement is very important. So several participants noted that it is quote, imperative that you feel like you have some control or ownership over the experience so that it is not just disembodied or happening to you. So it would be ideal if future versions could have a sense of responsiveness. So for example, one participant loved touching different parts of the subpack while it was vibrating because it gave the sensation of responsiveness. Just a note, this was particularly true for female participants. So third, related uh, haptic stimulation makes the body feel at risk more readily. So any session utilizing haptic stimulation should heavily optimize for safety making the participant feel as comfortable and trusting as possible. Of course, people in the psychedelic therapy space know much more about this than I do, but we found that a downward weight on the top of the shoulders, for example, from a weighted blanket worked really well for this. Four, of course, like music, the experience of the current stimulation is highly dependent on the context of the stimulation in which it is embedded. So in other words, the previous stimulations matter, uh, however, I found that the decay rate of haptic to be much slower. So for example, I would feel the effects of vibration far longer after stopping than I do with audio. Uh, I'm very prone to getting audio jingles stuck in my head. So the context of previous stimulation matters even more than in audio because the body memory lasts long and interacts with the current stimulation. Lastly, the hands and feet handle complexity very well. So even though we didn't explore this too much, I think it's ripe for work to be done here. So for example, maybe with a tech like UltraLeap, um, which is designed to work on the hand, um, something like that seems uh, very promising to me. I would like to see explored more. 
So now on to some comments for specific categories that we explored. Uh, we first started with 40 hertz stimulation, which we were really excited about given its recent use in Alzheimer's and uh, treating insomnia. This has been done in primarily the audit auditory and visual domains. So we wanted to see whether it could transfer to the tactile domain. But because 40 hertz is so simple, our boredom mechanism kicks in really quickly. So we tried to see if we could frame periods of 40 hertz stimulation uh, to reduce boredom and have the user attend more to the 40 hertz itself. So we tried 40 hertz and its harmonics within the sub range. And overall, we did not find 40 hertz to be very promising. It mostly induced vague, ag vague agitation uh, when played for, for more than just a couple of minutes. Andres also experienced some sleep paralysis, so that's definitely of note. However, uh, just a few notes on this. 40 hertz plus two harmonics was the max that should be used at any one time. Also, make the attack and the decay super long or else it, it's just too jarring. Transitioning was best between plus or minus one harmonic. So, for example, 10 to 20 hertz, 40 to 20 hertz, something like that. Um, better than, for example, 40 to 10 or 20 to 80 We've, we also found that the sub 40 hertz harmonics were helpful for raising the energy parameter and allowing the 40 hertz to be the drop to help ensure that the, the user paid attention to the 40 hertz itself. And lastly, we created a sample audio whose image is on the right, uh, which incorporates these harmonics and audio of nature sounds like cows eating grass. Overall was left feeling not very optimistic about 40 hertz uh, stimulation. Next, we tried a few classical audio illusions like uh, the shepherd tone, which contains a series of sine waves an octave apart that are cons constantly rising or falling in frequency within a constant amplitude envelope. I guess this gives the illusion of continually rising or falling pitch. And then the rizit beat, which formally is actually the exact same thing, but substituting frequency for tempo. And this instead gives an illusion of falling or is speeding up or slowing down as opposed to falling or rising pitch. The shepherd tone uh, didn't do much for us on the haptic, but the rizit beat had an amazingly cool effect, really feeling like your bodily organs were s continually slowing down. It felt like the, the digital version of taking a chill pill. <laughs> and I could, I could imagine that in an altered state, this, this might actually generate a terrifying feeling that you're sinking into an abyss and your systems might just stop stop functioning. But the, the Rizit beats that we experimented with all didn't have pleasing textures. Uh, so if, you know, if somebody is uh, skilled at making Rizit beats and would like to try creating Rizit beat with a texture that feels good on a haptic device, please reach out. <laughs> I would love to would love to see that and or feel that. <laughs> yeah, so beyond illusions, we investigated the following audio effects. Uh, smoothing, panning, echo, and reverb had significant impact on the experience. Uh, the dryness, wetness, vocoder, saturation, and flanging did not. And then with respect to smoothing, abrupt changes are the bane of haptic stimulation. Making ASDR as extended as possible is critical. Uh, next on panning, the subpack isn't stereo, so we can only explore this really when we built built a more mature light sound and vibration device but both left and right and up and down panning has an incredible effect 
So for example, Andres and I explored a continual, what I'd call staircase style rap ratcheting up and then ratcheting down of both frequency and amplitude of panning. And this does a couple of things. So first, it really adds dimensionality to the experience. So for example, super high frequency, like 16th note panning uh, with super high amplitude, let's say 90 to 100% left, right panning, generated what Andres described as a tornado effect. And up and down panning with both top and bottom haptic pillows generated a washing or a cleansing feeling of waves rolling from the head to the toe. Um, so just to clarify, this was done on two separate haptic pillows, one underneath the knees and one underneath the, 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 the back. Uh, if you're lying down. Second, panning also greatly increases the energy parameter, parameter in a really pleasing way. So really useful for the drop. And panning was super synergistic. So coupling with panning in the headphones, so like in the audio demand, and panning on the Casina, which was the, the light device that we were using, could generate a seriously, seriously interesting experience. Could also have varying frequencies and amplitude of panning in different sensory domains, as long as they were integer multiples of each other, of course. So for example, one eighth note panning on headphones, one sixteenth note panning on haptics uh, worked really, really well. Um, and finally, we found that the max panning frequency of the headphones to be a quarter note, uh, anything past that was too hectic. And you could bring the panning amplitude all the way up to 100%. Apart from panning, we also explored reverb and echo like in the audio domain, reverb gives the feeling of spaciousness and was super important. So basically everything got some amount of reverb on it. This was even more impactful than in the auditory domain. The feeling of spaciousness was, was very apparent. Next, we explored super simple, slow percussion style beats to use as heartbeats. In the sessions, we use these to introduce the track in the beginning uh, as well as a closer after the rest of the stimulation died down. A few of the classic ones like Marconi Union Weightless and a few other Marconi Union tracks we used as, as heartbeats. By far the most heart-opening sound we found in our exploration was the sample of a Tibetan gong whose waveform is on the right here. And in some ways I shouldn't categorize it as a heartbeat. It's very intense since we used it actually quite sparingly much slower than, for example, a 60 beats per minute heartbeat, but its texture is so amazing. And when played through the whole setup with multiple haptics, it would generate goosebumps pretty consistently. Um, it's, its waveform is also very, very pretty. And then uh, we also tried a, a Venus gong, is what it's called. Um, and this Venus gong snipped, uh, I think, yeah, so basically a snip of this Venus gong, I think does a really amazing job of cleanly stacking different layers of stimulation, um, which I'm not yet sure how they do that auditory-wise, uh, re but recreating this is, is really a, a goal. Lastly, we weren't able to experiment with this, but I, I think it'd be really interesting to have the heartbeat tempo of the song adjust according to the person's current heartbeat uh, via biofeedback. Uh, we, we, we didn't try this, but a more mature version of this tech I think would would absolutely want to incorporate something like this for, for more immediate feedback. Next were isochronic tones, which are essentially quickly repeating beats of a particular tone. 
essentially a tone being turned on and off very rapidly, sometimes compared to binaural beats, uh, but they're actually pretty different. I included a playlist here with uh, four in particular that I like. These should really be used only sparingly and for really short periods. Uh, so they're helpful early in a track to raise the energy parameter and to transition out of noise and more complex sounds. So overall, they were, they were relatively interesting. I don't have time to go through all of these categories, uh, but very briefly, we also explored speaking voices. Um, we found the cadence and the dynamics of a speaking voice to be surprisingly, extremely comforting. At points, I actually felt like I was in a womb <laughs> or lying close to somebody in bed. Um, it's, you know, it's a cadence that we're so familiar with, but I couldn't find any textures of speaking voices that felt good with the haptic. So in the future, matching the rhythm of a speaking voice with different instrumentation could be very interesting or just a speaking voice that has a, a nicer texture. We also tried heart and solar plexus nerve clusters. We tried to see if we could stimulate particular nerve clusters in our heart and solar plexus. Um, this was difficult to do, met with some mixed results. We also explored microtonal music and in particular polychromatic music, which essentially extends the number of notes between octaves. So instead of 12 EDO, it's around 106. We also tried solfeggio frequencies, which are essentially sets of three of the solfeggio frequencies, 396, 432, and 528, which have a history of use in religious contexts like Catholic chants, um, as well as their subharmonics. We also tried water sounds broken up into streams, oceans, and rain, which actually had surprisingly different effects from each other, and womb sounds. So. I contacted a researcher from New Zealand who had recorded some sounds from the interior of a sheep's womb in 2003, uh, but I never heard back, so really awaiting that email. So the last two categories are two of the most important by far, and I'll dive into both of them in more depth to try and tease apart some fine differences. Um, but the first we're calling VibLab uh, because it comes from a tradition of vibroacoustic therapy started in the 1980s, supposedly very popular in Norway, who have converged on this same stimulation. These are essentially just, they're very simple, just a single frequency with a varying amplitude. This amplitude envelope can be either sine wave, like on the top here, or triangle waves. And the triangle waves, of course, feel a bit more abrupt or a little bit less calming. Vibroacoustic therapy uses them as a warm-up before applying the sine wave sine wave ones yeah so just a few notes at the front we found these to be by far the most pleasing pattern overall and in particular uh, we found that 40 hertz 50 hertz 60 68 and 86 were particularly pre pleasing also that the lower frequencies worked well on lower parts of the body and the lower parts of the body require higher intensity stimulation for these patterns to be meaningful um, and as I said, I'll, I'll go into these in more detail in a little bit. The last major category was fractal audio. There are three main kinds, which we'll talk about in a bit. These are exactly self-similar, quasi-self-similar, and statistical fractals. All were too complex and agitating to be pleasant for long periods. However, over time, we realized they could be extremely effective when used intelligently um, in, in mainly two ways. So, 
first as a spot treatment, as I was describing earlier, for body areas with a lot of dissonance. So for example, a tight, anxious chest or a chronic backache. Second, when used in the beginning of a session to raise a participant's energy level before introducing simpler, more consonant tones. All of our tracks wound up including fractal audio in the beginning of them. However, they were far too agitating to be used at the end of a session when hopefully a participant's nervous system by that point was open to receiving information. Because fractal audio is the archetypical complex audio, we chose it as a region in this, in this state space of consciousness to investigate more precisely and try and tease apart fine differences. Just to dive into fine differences a little bit more. At this point, given the scope of the project, we decided to map the fine differences of the, quote, essence of complexity and valence. The three kinds of fractal audio for complexity and the constant frequency varying amplitude VibLab for valence. So just to dive into fine differences in the fractal uh, patterns. Just for a, a bit of background on fractal audio, there are three main types in order of decreasing complexity. Um, and complexity refers to empirical phenomenal complexity, not mathematically defined uh, complexity measures here. Exactly self-similar, quasi-self-similar, and statistical fractals. Exact self-similarity refers to a, a fractal that is identical at all scales. So the Koch triangle or the Koch snowflake is, is a perfect example. Uh, you start with a triangle, chop it, chop each side into three pieces, add a triangle to the middle piece, and iterate that. Uh, you, can, you can basically do the same process with a melody and a fixed transformation in the audio domain. You, you then have statistical self-similarity, which still involves an iterative process, but some aspect is pulled from a random distribution. And as we'll see in a bit, any number of random distributions can work here. So for example, we explored Gaussian and uniform distributions. Um, an example of this is the coastline of, of Britain. Uh, lastly is quasi-self-similarity, which lies between these two. Um, a perfect example of this is in the satellites of the Mandelbrot set. Essentially, Certain parts of the object contain full representations of the entire figure, often distorted in some way. First, we explored exactly self-similar audio. One that we found very interesting was an algorithm that actually mimicked the Coach Snowflake, uh, but for audio. I, I won't go into the algorithm here, but if somebody's interested, uh, I can ch chat about it um, later. Uh, we also tried spectrograms generated from fourth power Mandelbrot sets. These were both interesting to hear but definitely not to feel. They were both unbelievably chaotic and I can't really see how they'd ever be used in, in any healing, peaceful treatment session. Next were quasi-self-similar fractals, which combine random sound generation with some logical constraints. And for this, we built a track using the Inspired by Nature Max for Live plugin, which had an instrument titled Tree Tone, which is uh, basically a mix of FM and granular synthesis and is, for all intents and purposes, quasi-self-similar. Certain components of the audio are self-similar, uh, analogous to the Mandelbrot set satellites. So we found a couple of couple of different effects here. Uh, arousal, we found to be essentially a backwards S-shaped curve. Valence, pretty much unaffected. Uh, contentment, we found to be basically an S-shaped curve. Uh, calmness as kind of logarithmic. And the x-axis here is time, uh, as you can see. So we, we created a track out of this, um, and I thought this track felt 
quite nice, uh, made me focused. The phrase, quote, tessellated by texture kept repeating in my mind. Felt like I was really wearing the texture like an article of clothing. It was, it was a layer on top of me uh, that wrapped around my, my body. Lastly, the three adjectives that came to mind were, that I felt were uh, touched, soothed, and buttery. Um, just for just for some 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 phenomenology there. Last kind of fractals were statistical fractals, and these were by far the most pleasurable out of the fractals. We use them as an opportunity to tease apart fractals a little bit more. There are seven or so different kinds of noise color, violet through brown. As I mentioned, statistical fractals are fractals whose numerical or statistical properties are preserved across scales. An example of this would be rolling two dice. And when you add the results, you get a number between six and 36. Each number gets assigned to a particular node on a scale. So for example, the six could be C below middle C, seven could be the following D, etc. Like I said, there, there are six main categories, violet, blue, gray, white, pink, and brown noise. And here are the power spectra for these different noise colors, uh, Y, the y-axis here is amplitude, and x is frequency. So for example, you have white noise with a uniform distribution, um, and then brown noise with its notes shifted uh, towards the lower frequencies, blue noise the opposite, uh, etc. For, for violet, we actually needed to transpose everything down so that we could actually feel it on the, on the sub. Yeah, so we put together a single track that walks through 10 seconds or so of each of these noise colors to test whether we could feel any difference between them. And this was very tough. Ryan and I tried several single blind tests over the course of a few weeks, and it seemed like we couldn't tell any difference, uh, except that when played for long periods of time, we seemed to get bored less quickly when we would cycle between different noises. We could listen to noise that switched colors for longer without getting bored or agitated. So perhaps our bodies are picking up on subtle difference more so than we could very consciously notice ourselves. I'm really interested to see here if someone more sensitive than us or perhaps a better phenomenologist picks up on any, any differences between these, these noise colors that we couldn't. Even though it was difficult to discriminate between these colors, we tried another level of specificity. Noise pulled from a Gaussian or a uniform distribution to, to compare them. Similar deal here. Unfortunately, we could not tell any difference between these. As you can see from the screenshot of the power spectra over time, and just a, a snapshot, the shapes are pretty similar. Um, these are constantly changing. So look at just the top line. Uh, which represents the highest amplitudes reached by each frequency. Yeah, and unfortunately could not notice much of a difference between these. Then I got into a little bit of a rabbit hole trying to quantify the complexity of some of the audio that we were listening to using fractal dimension as the metric. And there, there are a ton of ways to do this, which are all pretty much equivalent when the input is continuous, but very different when the input is digital, like a, like a digital time series tried uh, calculating the Soliminov fractal dimension, Hajuchi, FrackLab, and DFAO are all different algorithms. We got some of the code for calculating Higuchi dimension, which is essentially approximating the box counting dimension here on the right, uh, for, but for a time series. You could think of this measure as essentially how many boxes of side length E 
are required to cover a shape as e goes to zero. So essentially the higher this number is, the more nooks and crannies and folds there are in the object's outline. Here are the Higuchi dimensions of some various audio and just a couple of promising signs of this as a metric. So first, it did seem to be pretty consistent between categories. So for example, all of the brown noises are within 1.81 and 1.88 Higuchi dimension. The bird songs are between 1.91 and 1.96. Further, a pattern's Higuchi dimension aligns with its phenomenal complexity really well. For example, VibLab, the super simple constant frequency with an amplitude envelope had by far the lowest fractal dimension and brown noise has a very high dimension which checks out as it being some of the most complex audio however brown noise which was phenomenally far more complex than birdsong but its fractal dimension was actually less we need more sample sizes to determine how this stands as a metric of complexity of phenomenal complexity but i found it very very promising and um, very interested to do more more samples here are just a few notes on the phenomenology of noise in general. Overall, in terms of pleasantness, statistical fractals are far more pleasant than quasi-self-similar, which are far more pleasant than exactly self-similar fractals. Second, uh, noise is the most efficient pattern at neutralizing dissonance and the best, quote, spot treatment for body areas in pain or tension. It also had this interesting effect of bringing you to a constant for a variety of emotions. So for example, if you were coming, and I have a little diagram of this on the right, if you were coming into the session with a nine out of 10 arousal, it would bring you to a six out of 10. And if you were coming in with a four out of 10, it would still bring you to a six out of 10. Basically all points would asymptote towards that amount for any reasonable period of time. And this held true for, for chest anxiety as well and a few other emotions that we tracked. We also notice that valence effects decay quite quickly after the stimulation is over, uh, while effects on arousal take longer to decay. This is likely always the case, given how you know, physiological an arousal response seems to be, you know, for example, regulating sympathetic, parasympathetic systems, all that jazz, while valence can really turn on a switch instantly. This effect seemed particularly true after noise. The threshold was consistently about 10 to 12 minutes, any more than that within an hour or two became very agitating. And this is definitely to be played at the beginning of a track. Noise is definitely to be played at the beginning of a track. I played for Quentin once at the end of a session uh, and he saw how disconcerting it could be. It was very intense. So the beginning of all our tracks use noise to really raise the energy parameter. Lastly, I found attention to be extremely important with noise. So if you're paying attention to something else, it could quickly become agitating. If you leaned in and attended to the noise, it could neutralize anxiety or pain very well. The next section, I'm going to talk about some fine differences in the VibLab section of our exploration. This last category uh, that we wanted to explore was yeah, VibLab, the, the, the constant frequency varying amplitude tones, which we found to be by far the most pleasing sound in the project as a whole. We found that the following frequencies had significantly distinct bodily effects. So for example, we felt 50 hertz primarily in the chest and lungs area, 60 hertz in the high front of chest, low throat area, 68 hertz in the upper back, neck and shoulder area, and 86 hertz in the head and temple area. Honestly, for, for me, these were extremely distinct. 
We also, in our heart and solar plexus chakra investigations, each of us had very distinct resonant frequencies for each region. My the frequencies that seemed to resonate with my heart got my heart ganglia were very different than uh, the frequencies that seemed to resonate with Ryan's heart ganglia, and the same for the solar plexus. However, all participants so far seem to respond to the same Viblab frequencies in the same body parts. Um, I can't really determine why it was so different from our initial investigation, which basically used pure tones. Perhaps our phenomenology got better, uh, or perhaps the amplitude variation had a huge impact here. I don't know why that would be the case yet, but you know, when I have access to a, a subpack again, I, I'd love to redo those experiments. So as a claim, and what I certainly felt is that as you rise in frequency from 50 to 86 hertz, the stimulations feel best at increasingly higher points in the body. You know, like I said, going through 50, from 50 through 86. We did some single blind testing here as best as we could, as you can tell different frequency, as you can tell frequency differences. And we found consistently that these frequencies interacted very differently with different regions in the body. I'm really interested here to see what would happen if we placed independent stimulation at each of these frequencies on each location of the body. I think it might be possible to induce something like a Kundalini-type awakening by placing these at, you know, the corresponding chakra locations, different nerve ganglia. For example, there's this effect called the cutaneous rabbit effect, which is talked about in an MIT Media Lab paper from 2003 that I have in the uh, in the appendix, where the researchers essentially made a full-body haptic suit with 13 actuators, and they figured out how to create the illusion of stimulation moving continuously across the surface of somebody's skin by timing the stimulation of each point in the right way. And then I'm also thinking, how could we best personalize this for an individual? Is there a way of determining more precisely the resonant frequency of a person's different organs um, and adjusting stimulation accordingly? Yeah, these are just some, some really interesting questions that I would love to see explored. So just to step back and take, you know, take some time to describe some overall lessons that we learned. With these findings, uh, we generated two tracks by the end, loving kindness and energizing. And by the end of the project, we were experimenting with light and sound uh, on top of just haptics. Uh, so these three tracks incorporated all three sense modalities. It'd be much easier to just show you guys what we created, but uh, that's not really, not really feasible in this format. So... Uh, just a couple notes about what we ended up making. Both tracks included a subset of what I've gone over today. On the haptic side, the main contributors, in order in which they were introduced in the track, beginning with a heartbeat to focus the participant's attention. Then uh, for the relaxing track, uh, we used a rizzet beat to really slow things down, give the illusion of continually slowing down tempo. Then we added a period of 30 seconds to about a minute of statistical fractals, usually brown noise, to raise the energy parameter. Then we'd introduce a couple of gongs to open up the nervous system. Then the main portion of the tracks were dominated by VibLab, these you know simple constant patterns that we wanted the participant to anneal around. So the beginning is really raising the person's energy parameter and then and then the Vib Lab is really the bulk of the session and what you, you want a person's nervous system to kneel around. Very, very constant patterns. And we mixed in some occasional isochronic beats 
to raise the energy parameter in a more consonant way than noise. We finally finished with a few gongs to kind of anneal around an open heart. Um, and then lastly, an outro heartbeat. For audio effects, we used a ton of panning and panning would start low and continuously ratchet in frequency and amplitude, panning up and down. This is most extreme pre-drop where we would sync the panning in the haptic domain with panning in, in other modalities. Reverb, we used a ton of reverb and all patterns had very smoothed ASDR envelopes. And then for audio, we used a couple of classic Buddhist and Catholic chants, namely uh, Om So Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum, and then Nature Sounds, uh, primarily in the beginning and the end. And then for the lights, we hard-coded patterns of light into the light casino, which is basically a set of goggles with a colored LCD display. So we basically hard-coded in uh, geometric shapes um, that would be synchronous with both the haptics and the audio. So that covers our phenomenal exploration. Just a few notes on doing this kind of research um, and what might be fruitful avenues to explore in future exploration. First, we kept iterating on a subpack qualia diary template that could be used to guide further explorations. Um, ideally, we could turn this template into a simple GUI with, for example, interactive sliders for different qualia over time, things like that. If somebody is interested in helping this project, contact us. Relatively straightforward. Next, we found uh, it was really important to just trust your intuition. Vague notions of this feels good, this feels bad are very fruitful, especially in the beginning, to, to guide research avenues and directions. Second, we found that more than two to three hours of total stimulation per day was, was way too much. And we recommend oscillating between stimulation and expiration slash analysis in order to prevent burnout. Third, it's, it's very easy to over-categorize before exploring. So by the end, we found it much better to let your intuition guide you, and then you can categorize what you've explored. Um, you can also use categorization to determine what regions of the state space you may not have explored yet. And also, it may not seem like it, but phenomenology is absolutely a skill, and you can improve the skill over time, though its fruits may not be as apparent as other skill development is. And generally, this is very hard. This is very unlike any other project that at least I had done. Phenomenology, music production, sprinkle of music theory. Very, very fun, multidisciplinary. Just a taste of the further exploration to be done with uh, the existing hardware. We flirted with the idea of spatial audio, uh, but it turns out this is actually quite difficult, and I don't know if anybody's replicated spatial audio on haptics, this is definitely above my my uh, my haptic pay grade, but it, it actually could be extremely cool. Um, and my expectation is that Subpack might not be able to handle this because it's mono, the back haptic pillows that we designed separate from the Subpack. The second, I, I also want to explore more patterns on the hands and feet, which can definitely discriminate frequency differences in more detail. So using something like the Ultra Leap to play patterns on a hand could be super interesting. Um, next, of course, is to utilize something like OpenAI's Jukebox or MuseNet and train a model to on a large enough set of enjoyable patterns to create infinitely repeating loops with variations to prevent boredom. Next, there's a paper from MIT Media Lab. Oh, I just, yeah, I, I, I described this, but I, I really would like to recreate this 
transcutaneous rabbit effect, as they described. And third, our categorization was quite simple into the four dimensions that I described uh, initially, uh, but teasing apart these dimensions into finer details is, of course, super valuable and would be the next post-exploration stage in any good quality investigation. Next, we want to generate spectrograms or chromograms, uh, which are spectrograms binned into the corresponding notes for each set of frequencies, using two-dimensional wallpaper symmetry groups. So these are, on the right here, these are essentially the 17 ways that you can tessellate a two-dimensional surface. As well, uh, a more robust understanding of the synergies between different sensory modalities will be very important. So, for example, does greater haptic complexity modulate auditory arousal or valence? For example, finding consonant or dissonant audio that when played in conjunction with haptics, changes the consonance or dissonance of the audio. And lastly, since simply explore more of the state space, even though we found much of the state space to be unpromising for pleasing and healing vibrations, there might be some islands filled with diamonds. So uh, hopefully somebody can, can find those. And lastly, the majority of our work was mapping the phenomenology space but making a clean mapping between this space and the input space by categorizing the input space more mathematically, like what we started to do with the Higuchi dimension and phenomenal complexity would be amazing. Uh, so mapping between, for example, tempo or average amplitude and arousal in the phenomenal space. Doing so might involve categorizing the phenomenal space with, with more dimensions than I have here. And then comparing this mapping in the haptic space to the mapping in another sensory domain, like the audio space. What aspects of the mapping are retained? Which aspects change, etc.? These are extremely interesting questions to QRI, generally. Yeah, that, that's all I got. I hope some of that was interesting and, and or helpful. As I mentioned, this is really just a brief introduction to some of the phenomenology of haptic qualia, uh, but I think there's a large amount of potential here, both standalone and in conjunction with, with psychedelic therapy. Um, so if anybody's interested in this type of work, either creating content for this prototype, you know, you're a musician or a haptic musician or interested in designing patterns of light or helping to develop the prototype itself on the hardware side, audio engineering side, please reach out to, to any of us. Uh, I'd love to talk. And I, I just want to say thank you to the to QRI team, especially Andres, who really outlined and motivated this entire project. Quentin for being my stimulation guinea pig literally would not have done it without them. So thanks so much. See you guys later.